Hello and welcome to a DerivSource podcast. I'm Julia Schieffer, the founder and editor of DerivSource.com. In this podcast, we are talking about regulatory harmonization across borders, or rather, lack thereof. While regulators have been in agreement with the G20 recommendations, there have been some ructions at the national levels, most notably between the U.S. and Europe. Both jurisdictions have been wrangling for months over the details, especially the regulation over clearinghouses. There is hope that the more conciliatory tone struck by Timothy Massett, the new chairman of the CFTC, will pave the way for more fruitful discussions, but of course, no one expects to see a deal struck overnight. We asked Stephen Loosley, partner at Consultancy Catalyst, how he thinks things will unfold. Here is DerivSource reporter Lynn Strong and Dodds speaking to Stephen Loosley. Thank you very much for making the time, Stephen. The first question really looks at the reasons behind the lack of harmonization between the U.S. and Europe. So what is your take on that? I think some of the lack of harmonization is, is due to maybe domestic users seeking to protect local markets. They have local market practices that maybe don't translate so well between the U.S. and Europe. Some is due to different characteristics of those markets, but I think a lot is due to the sheer scale of regulation that's been undertaken over the last few years. And I think if you look at regulatory agencies like the CFTC, which have been in existence for, you know, for a long period of time and have a very embedded take on the world and a very embedded and rigorous set of uh, regulations as they're applied to the existing futures markets, it's an enormous change to try and regulate what is an, an entirely new market for them. And to their credit, they've done that with a really not a particularly generous set of additional resources handed to them. Whereas in Europe, the, the setting up of ESMA and, uh, and a new raft of, of regulatory offices has maybe enabled people to take a, a slightly more holistic view of some of the regulations. And, and I think that shows up in the timelines. The, the CFTC, very tightly focused on scope, very quick to market with their rules. Europe, a lot more consultation and much, much slower process. And I think both of those two, both of those two bodies, ESMA and the CFTC, also have to cope with the SEC in the US and, and this distinction between derivatives and, and derivatives on securities. And you don't have that in Europe, you just have ESMA in, in the US, you have both of those regulatory agencies with, with quite a lot of overlap really trying to implement the same regulations. And none of this is, is helped by the, the differences in, in legal complexities as regards things like bankruptcy and insolvency laws and the way that the rulemaking frameworks are set up. So really, I, I think both sets of agencies have had a titanic challenge in, uh, in trying to implement these, these at all, uh, let, let alone being very harmonized and, and joined up. What are the main points of disagreement then between the U.S., European, and Asian regulators? There's been a lot of headlines about mutual recognition of clearinghouses. Is that the main area or other topics that are dividing all these regulators? I think the point you touched on there about mutual recognition of clearinghouses, Lynn, is, is a good one. But actually, I see it as a, as a symptom of a slightly wider issue, which is the extraterritorial nature of, of both the U.S. and European regulations, but particularly the, the U.S. ones, where there is, as you say, no concept really of regulatory equivalence for things like clearinghouse recognition. And a lot of the European and Asian market participants and, and financial infrastructures have been a little bit aggrieved by the consequences of having to trade with U.S. counterparties, so things like swap dealer registration are an, an overhead and a, and a burden for people who feel that their toes are being a little trodden on 
by a slightly overzealous regulator, perhaps. And EMEA has had a similar impact on parts of Asia as well. There is a greater degree of regulatory equivalence as regards um, demonstrating supervisory authorities uh, are doing a good job between, say, Asian jurisdictions and, and European ones. But again, you still have this concept of third country CCP recognition, which is quite a burden for some of the non-European or non-US CCPs out there, which are still you know, extremely important institutions in their regions. And I think some of this has been possibly exacerbated by a little bit of regula- regulatory short-termism. So there's been a little bit of, call it colloquially, tit-for-tat behavior between the US and Europe in particular. So the, the CFTC declined to grant a full equivalence to European trading platforms last year. In retaliation, certain people are speculating for European policymakers who have refused to accept the US clearing regulations as equivalent, despite this being granted to a number of Asian jurisdictions. So I think a lot of these tensions are about the extraterritoriality, who perceives who is overreaching their, their boundaries. And then there are you know, a number of other slightly more functional areas of disagreement or at least of scheduling, where you have the US, again, being very tightly controlled on scope and timeline delivering a, the Category 2 clearing mandate in, in summer 2013, whereas in Europe that mandate from ESMA, which were hit by side clearing, still isn't in force and possibly not expected to be until kind of Q1 next year. And that has impact on the, the provision of clearing within those markets. So I think you've recently seen a number of people like Boney, State Street, RBS, withdraw from providing client clearing services and a lot of the, the rationale behind those decisions and those kind of decisions is this waiting game of how long do we have to build for, how long do we have to provide for before we start seeing a return, because lots of clients quite reasonably don't want to commit themselves until there's finality of regulation. And one of those other areas we saw of inconsistency in the scheduling and, and inconsistency in scheduling having a material effect was the launch and mandating of CEFs in the U.S., so swap execution facilities where all swaps must be traded electronically via request for quote or other mechanisms, that still hasn't reached Europe. The, the organized trading facilities that are planned under MIFID 2 potentially won't be here until 2017. So these things drive changes in behavior among banks and market participants. If you don't have to trade electronically in Europe, but you do in the US, where might you choose to trade? Well, Maybe some of that liquidity has escaped the U.S. and, and moved to move to Europe, and some of that clearing liquidity has as well, with um, institutions who might otherwise conduct business in the U.S. setting up structures in Europe where they can um, still benefit from the, I guess, the openness of the market ahead of those regulatory deadlines in for buy side clearing and for ETF implementation under MIFID II. Do you think that nationalism is one of the main stumbling blocks? for cross-border reconciliation of derivatives regulation, that the regulators in the U.S. and Europe and Asia think their regime is more robust or stringent than the other regimes, and that could prove a hindrance to having some kind of resolution or harmonization of regulation globally. Yes, I, I agree there is a good degree of that. I think that manifests itself in, in attitude, really, and it's back to that, that point about the CFTC going for you know, a prescriptive approach and, and tight scheduling and not too many delays, and possibly at the expense of consultation and the refinement in regulation that ESMA is able to do under EMIR because they're not sticking to the, the same tightness of schedule. I mean, one of the examples in that might be um, the account structures within clearing. In the US, 
where you have the legally segregated, operationally commingled account structure for positions and collateral. And in Europe, you have more physical, full segregation, individual segregation of accounts. And the European model protects both positions and collateral. The US model protects positions, but still leaves uh, omnibus risks around collateral because of that operational commingling. Now, I think you can have an argument there as to is it better to regulate something that's 80% there quickly or regulate something that's 100% there slowly? And there'd be merits on both sides of that argument. But clearly, those two different approaches are, are playing out in a lack of harmonization between rules. There is a view, though, that the new CFTC head, Timothy Massad, is much more conciliatory than his predecessor, Gary Gensler. Do you think that will be helpful in moving the process forward and will enable some type of harmonization with Europe and Japan? Massad's approach appears to be interesting so far. I think so far he seems to be adopting a more pragmatic approach than, than Gensler did. Just this week at the Boca Futures Conference, Massad stated that great progress has been made in resolving the cross-border harmonization issues. And he's also been making some encouraging moves in trying to coordinate and give the appearance of coordination around the global margin requirements for bilateral margining of uncleared derivatives, which I think is an area where the, the industry could really do with some leadership and an area where it's important to have that harmonization to avoid any kind of fragmentation of liquidity. A big question here. How do you see this being resolved? Do you think that harmonization is really possible? I think it is possible. I think with international regulation, we need to see the regulators picking their battles. Something like CEF and OTF harmonization could have been much better handled and would have enabled a much more consistent approach to providing liquidities both in Europe and in the US. There are some areas where that harmonization just isn't a priority and, and maybe the, the differences that remain between the LSOC account and the individually segregated account aren't that important. But I do have a sense of optimism as a result of the changes in leadership and the arrival of Mossad. And it's to be hoped that, notwithstanding the domestic considerations, the international banks will also recognize that and recognize that fragmentation of markets isn't beneficial. And I think it's really up to community of financial markets participants to align their lobbying in those jurisdictions, because that really is one of the drivers of change and one of the drivers of the pace of regulatory implementation. So I think there's a lot of responsibility on us as, as part of the market, as well as directly upon the regulators. And my final question is, what happens if there isn't any harmonization? What would be some of the main consequences? I think with financial markets regulation, the thrust of it is to provide incentives for market participants to do things that are in the greater economic good and provide disincentives for them to behave otherwise. And if you have disjoint in regulatory harmonization, then what you create is an environment where people are incentivized to move around jurisdictions, move and migrate their business, actively migrate their business in and out of regulations that are progressing at, at different speeds across jurisdictions. And that kind of behavior fragments liquidity and fragments the provision of, of important hedging and risk management services to end users, as well as increasing the cost, increasing opacity, and increasing the burden of, of regulation on people. So I think it, it increases that level of uncertainty, risk, and cost, as well as driving fragmentation and illiquidity if we can't get these major jurisdictions aligned. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been very helpful. It's been my pleasure, Lynn. Thank you. 
Now, I'm interested if our Derive Source listeners agree with Stephen on the possible progression for improved coordination of regulators across borders. So please do tell us what you think by commenting on our podcast notes page. Otherwise, thank you for listening to today's podcast. Tune in next time and in April for more analysis and interviews on timely topics. You can also see more information via the website, and please do subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or download the free DerivSource app to listen on the go. Thank you again for listening. Join us next time.